The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and I do not delay to keep your commandments. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. At midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. Let's pray. Father, we, we do praise you because you are a righteous, holy, just, and gracious God. You are a perfect ruler, abounding in steadfast love. You always keep your word, and you are a trustworthy ruler. You haven't left us to wonder who you are, but you've given us your son, Jesus Christ, and your word to reveal your heart and our need for you. Father, may we delight in your law. Help us to obey it with joyful hearts, and help us this morning to understand and apply it rightly. With the help of your spirit, help us not change your word to fit our desires, but change our desires to fit your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so I'm going to start with a story. Several years ago, when Michael and I were newly wed, we lived in the Woodway Apartments, which a lot of you now know as the Light Bearers Apartments. And um, we learned that a friend of ours from college would be living near the same apartment complex just for the summer, and he was recently married. And they were really eager to have people in their new home and to host people. So we came over and ate dinner with them. And honestly, I don't remember a whole lot about the night except for one short conversation. Uh, the wife, who I didn't know quite as well, she knew that I loved to cook, and she was asking me some questions about the recipe that she had followed that night. And she said, the recipe asked that, we, that I squeeze a lemon, a lime, into the ingredients. What good would that do? And I didn't really understand the question, so I inquired further. And she, because the recipe did not say to slice the lime, just held a whole lime over a bowl of ingredients and squeezed it. And so then I could understand why she was confused. What good would that do? <laughs> she did say she eventually poked a hole into the lime. So a few drops of juice came out. But um, my thought on that story is what if we all paid the same amount of attention and gave the word of God the same amount of care? Of course we can't compare God's word to a recipe. It's the infallible word of God. But what if we treated it with the same amount of care that we were so careful to not stray from exactly what it said, that we followed it that closely. So today's class, staying on the line of scripture. Staying on the line means just taking from scripture only, for, only what scripture says. It's intended meaning. Not going above the line, which is adding the scripture, adding to what God has said in his word, and not going below the line, which is not saying everything. Keep leaving something out. Not saying something that scripture says. Um, it kind of reminds me of the familiar courtroom oath, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So the truth, the line of scripture, the whole truth, you're not leaving anything out, and nothing but the truth, you're not adding anything to it. And this class, like Haley said, is in the middle of a series that has been on how to study the word of God, and some other classes we've had are like um, on context and how knowing the context of scripture helps you understand the intended meaning 
where Emily taught a class on structure and how knowing the structure shows the intended meaning. Whatever the structure emphasizes shows you what should be emphasized from the passage. So these are all tools that we've learned on how to better understand scripture. And today's topic is a little different because it's not a tool to apply, but rather a commitment or conviction to be committed to. So rather than a tool, it's a conviction. And that conviction is your fill in the blank on your handout. It's the main principle, and I'll repeat it so you can fill in the blanks if you want to. And it is this. To stay on the line of scripture is to say what scripture says and only what it says. Not going above the line by adding to it or going below the line by taking away from scripture. So I'll say it again. To stay on the line of scripture is to say what scripture says and only what it says. Not going above the line by adding to it or going below the line by taking away from scripture. Um, this conviction is not something that each of us, or is something each of us needs to commit to, not just one time, but continually. Uh, though the principle is simple, unfortunately, sticking to it, upholding this conviction is not as simple. We're all susceptible from straying from the line, from the line of scripture, whether intentionally or unintentionally. Uh, for example, I love checklists and routine. And I often err on the side of turning spiritual disciplines of like reading my Bible, prayer, into checklists. And erroneously, sometimes I feel like if I check off my list for the day, God must be really pleased with me. If I forget one of those things, he might be disappointed. But if thinking goes above the line, it's prideful and works-based and goes above the line because it's adding to what scripture says is necessary for me to have favor with God. According to scripture, all we need to have favor with God is to be found in Christ. Only his work can earn us favor with God. So that is an example of a way it's easy just to stray from the line and how we think or process through the day. Um, so by now, you know that I think that staying on the line of the scripture is important, but I'm not as convincing nor am I, do I have any authority in your lives. Uh, so we're going to turn to scripture to see what it has to say on the topic. So the first verse we're going to read is Deuteronomy 4, 1 through 2. Um, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. It's on the handout, too. I'll say it one more time, but throughout the day, uh, all the references I'm giving are in the handout. So Deuteronomy 4, 1 through 2. And while you're turning there, I'll fill in a little context, a little background. This is Moses preparing the Israelites to enter the promised land. And he's reminded them, he's just given them a historical recap of everything that God has done for them leading up to this point. And he's reminding them of all God is instructing them to do to be God's set-apart people in the land that he's giving him. And this is what he says kind of at the end of this talk. And he says, oh, and, and now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you. And do them that you may live and go in. And take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Okay, so now I'm going to ask y'all a question. Here comes the discussion part. According to this verse, why should we stay on the line of scripture? Yes, it's a command of God. God is commanding them right here to not add to the word 
or take away from it. He says, do not add, do not take away from it. So it's a command from God. We don't really need any more why than that, I don't think. Um, okay, so we're going to turn, this is an Old Testament example, so now we're going to turn to the very last chapter in the whole canon of Scripture, Revelation 22, 18 through 19. And this, these are the closing words of Scripture, the very last few verses. And it says, well, I'll tell you, Revelation 8, 22, 18, and 19. And it says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. So according to this verse, why should we stay on the line of scripture? And what are the consequences if we don't? Yes, it is. So Logan was saying that it's commanded in here either way, and there's a consequence for going above and a consequence for going below the line from this very book. I know some of you have studied Revelation at a UBC Bible study in the last year, so you're probably more familiar uh, with the plagues, but it's not something you'd want to <laughs> endure. So this is a pretty heavy scripture, right? It's saying, I mean, this is showing that God takes it really, really seriously. Um, okay, another passage focusing on why we should stay on the line. This one's a little bit less straightforward. It doesn't use the same language as adding to the line or taking from the line. Uh, but I still think we can understand why it's important. 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and from how, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So this passage is less straightforward, but reading from this, Think about why do we need to stay on the line of scripture? So what are y'all seeing in here for why this is important to stay on the line of scripture? Yes, it's inspired by God. Absolutely. Yes, it equips us to obey God. Absolutely. Yeah, it's profitable for those four things, for teaching, reproof, correction, and training, which then equips us, like Karen said gives you the wisdom that leads to true salvation. That's very important, uh, which leads directly into what I was going to say next. Um, verse 15 says that scripture is able to make us wise for salvation, exactly like Diana said, through faith in Christ Jesus. And it's through scripture that we know God is holy, right? That's what it tells us in there. Uh, it's the very first few chapters of all of scripture that we find that men and women, all of us, are sinful. And we're separated from God because of our sin. Um, and we learn in scripture that through the rest of scripture that God has a means of salvation for us in Christ um, as Carolyn taught last month all scripture points to Jesus and um, we learn through the word just like Timothy, Timothy says that Jesus is God's son that he lived a sinless life he never once sinned he was killed and he rose three days later um, and through his death he paid the penalty for the sins of anyone who would repent or turn from their sins and believe in him for the forgiveness of their sins. We also know from scripture that none of our works are good enough to earn us favor with God. 
like we discussed earlier, our only goodness comes from being, from being found in Christ. So if we don't stay on the line of scripture, the very gospel mes- message is at risk, and that has really huge consequences. Um, one last verse on what the scripture has to say is 1 Timothy 4, 16. So 1 Timothy 4, 16. And this is Paul writing to Timothy, and Timothy's pastoring a church, and this is what Paul is instructing Timothy to do. It says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. So one last time, I'm going to ask the same question. Um, why is Paul telling Timothy to keep a close watch on himself and his teaching? Why stay on the line? Yes, it ensures their salvation, absolutely. And what, well, my next question is what is at stake if he doesn't stay on the line? But I think that is kind of the same answer that she just shared. Um, so we can't cover every scripture today in the hour that we have here on what scripture says about staying on the line and the, the power of God's word, which kind of goes with that. Um, but hopefully these are enough to show you that scripture does speak to the topic and God has commanded us to stay on the line of scripture to only take from scripture what it says, not going above the line by adding to it, not going below the line by taking away from it, and to do so, to not stay on the line, has devastating consequences. Um, Unfortunately, straying from the line of scripture is really frequent. I'm sure you can all think of some examples. We see it in books, articles, podcasts, sermons, I mean, any type of media. Um, We can probably think of some examples of times people have not stayed on the line which is what I'm about to ask you. Um, What are some ways that you've seen people go above or below the line, or even yourself, um, of Scripture? It kind of sounds a little bit like prosperity gospel, maybe not quite that extreme, but, yeah, I think, honestly, I feel like you could say that goes above or below in some ways, which those things are kind of a blurred. I don't really have to decide which is which, just knowing that it's not on the line of Scripture is the main point. Um, but yeah, I for sure think, I'm going to just write prosperity gospel, or not the whole gospel. Actually, not the whole gospel, we'll be taking out the most prosperity gospel. Absolutely, paraphrasing could, could really go either way. You could add a meaning you're not meaning to say, or leave something out. I mean, you have to really be familiar with the text to be able to paraphrase it. What about giving advice if you're in a Bible study? I mean, that seems one I have experienced, not really here, but if your Bible study becomes a lot more about giving advice and you're using the text to, this actually ties into next month's study, if you're kind of using the text to promote your own agenda or something, you could easily be taking something from the line. Um, I'm going to write legalism because I gave that example earlier about spiritual disciplines and that's adding to the line. That could be considered legalism. What if you get to a text and you're teaching it or talking to a friend about it and it's offensive to them? I feel like that is a common one that I hear or see where you don't want to tell someone that all people are sinful because, you know, our culture kind of says, well, we're all good, which is not scriptural. So I think a way I see it just out and about in the world is people leaving things out because it's offensive. They don't want to offend someone, but, I mean, scripture even tells us that the gospel is offensive. Okay, before moving on, I'm going to 
uh, give a quote that addresses the problem of books written under the Christian genre. I just felt like it was kind of important to address this topic since there's so many bad Christian literature out in the world. Um, a female Christian author states the following. Christian women have inevitably become a valued target market. In this so-called Christian publishing industry, it is pumping out Bible studies, devotionals, customized Bibles, and personal growth books for us to buy. But the sad truth is that Christian bookstores can promote some of the worst doctrines. Just like any other market, we need to enter them with discernment. She then goes on to describe some Christian best-selling books um, as appearing to have a high view of scripture, but once you get past the sparkling endorsements and attractive cover design, they teach extra-biblical revelation, mysticism, New Age spirituality, the prosperity gospel, or just plain bad exposition. These are not harmless books. So the aim of this author is to help us to think, women specifically, to think more critically of the books that we're reading um, that are pertaining to the Bible and God and what, what knowledge we're taking in, just to think more critically about what we're reading. Um, and I think that it's helpful for us to recognize these books, these books that stray from the line, by hearing a few examples of ways this happens. So I'm going to read a few quotes, and I want you to tell me where it strays from the line. Now, I'm going to be a little mysterious and not tell you who wrote these quotes, because the point is to think, to sharpen our discernment skills more than to give you a list of authors to just not read from. If you really want to know, I will tell you later. <laughs> um, the first one you're going to get, though, it's pretty easy, pretty obvious example, because I'm giving you the book title. Um, and that is Your Best Life Now. So based on just the title alone, Your Best Life Now, how does that not stay on the line of scripture? Yes, our best life comes, comes later. It is in scripture. I even wrote down Matthew 6, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Like Jennifer said, our hearts are supposed to be on heaven, not on having our best life now. Okay, the next one is this. It says, this practice of listening to God has increased my intimacy with him more than any other spiritual discipline. So I want to share some of the messages I have received. So this is like the introduction of a Bible Devo book, like a daily Devo. I'll read it one more time. This practice of listening to God has increased my intimacy with him more than any other spiritual discipline. So I want to share some of the messages I have received. Where does she not stay on the line? Absolutely, it's all about personal, private revelation. She's not saying she reads scripture and that's how she's listening to God. She just is listening to God. So it's providing new revelations, so much so that she's taken down, like written down what she is hearing and written it in a book for us to read, kind of in placement of scripture. Um, so anyway, unfortunately, promoting subjective experience of God's authoritative words is a common way that people stray from the line of scripture in Christian media today. Um, and I'm going to give you one more example, and this is it. Consequently, I have heard more sermons, talks, messages, and lectures on Christianity than can possibly be impactful. 
I have spent half my life listening to someone else talk about, my, about God. Because of this history, I've developed something of an immunity to sermons. I'll read it one more time. Consequently, I have heard more sermons, talks, messages, and lectures on Christianity than can possibly be impactful. I have spent half my life listening to someone else talk about God. Because of this history, I've developed something of an immunity to sermons. So where does this author not stay on the line of scripture? Yeah, not seeing a church authority. Absolutely. Yes, not relying on the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. We're on the same page because I have that scripture written down right here that it reminds me of the second Timothy. And it even says that he's heard the, from childhood the sacred writing. So he's also heard a lot of sermons and he's not going to, he obviously isn't thinking that they're not helpful or not impactful. Um, and it is helpful for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. So, okay. So now we're going to move on to the next section of looking in scripture and finding ways people in scripture have not stayed on the line, and the consequences that have happened because of that. So I want everybody to turn to Genesis 3, 1 through 6. And I believe these questions are on your handout. I'm going to read through the passage and then give you all several minutes to answer the questions. What is the line? Who strayed from the line and how? And what were the consequences? So first I'll read it, and I'll recap that when we get to it in a minute. So here is Genesis 3, 1 through 6. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So answer, what is the line? And I'm going to give you a hint. You have to go back to chapter 2 to find the line, to find what God said. Yeah, chapter 2. Then who strayed from the line? It could be more than one person or serpent that has strayed from the line, and how? And then what were the consequences? So look through those. I'll give you all several minutes. And when we talk about it, we're going to go verse by verse, if that helps you with answering the question. So we'll just go through each verse to find out where they strayed from the line. Okay. Um, come back together and talk about what y'all found. Did anybody find what was the line of scripture? What did God actually say? Anybody, did y'all find the reference? Yes, chapter 2, 16, 17, and I'll go ahead and read it. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So now we'll talk about who strayed from the line and how. We'll just go verse by verse. 
to answer both of those questions. So in verse 1, who strayed from the line? The serpent, yes, in verse 1. Um, and how? What did the serpent do to stray from the line? Misleading them, yes. He says, did God actually say? And do you all think this is going above or below the line? Yes, change back. Do you all think it's going below or above? Is he adding or is he taking away? Yes, he goes below the line because he's taking away from God's authoritative word. He's saying he he's saying maybe he didn't say it. Um, Two sixteen, it says the Lord God commanded the man, and then in verse one, when it's the serpent speaking, he just says God. So he's leaving out the word Lord, so it takes away from the authority of God. Thank you. Um, okay, verse two. This one's a really subtle, slight thing. Yes, she is starting to doubt. She takes away away the word every. So when she's quoting what God said in verse 2, um, you may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But if you go back to chapter 2, he says you may eat of every tree of the garden. So it's just one tiny little word that's left out. But it makes a difference um, because it kind of is showing that she is, like Karen said, she's starting to doubt. Maybe if you leave out the word every, you're not seeing God as as generous and good as you should. Very slight difference, but it's still taking away from the line by leaving out that one little word, every. And I think it matters. Um, so Daniel already said, verse 3, she goes above the line and adds, neither shall you touch it, talking about the tree. So in Genesis true, <laughs> Genesis 2, God just says not to eat of the tree. And Eve is adding in, neither shall you touch it. So she's going above the line. Um, okay, verse 4. Yes, the serpent is going below the line. He's saying that she won't die. He's like really going below the line. He's being very contradictory uh, to what God was saying. And what about verse 5? Yeah, yeah, he is lying. He's going above the line, and he's adding, you will be like God, knowing good and evil, which that is not the tree is called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but God only says that they'll die. He doesn't say that you'll be like God. So he's totally making that up. Yeah, he's lying. Um, and then verse 6 shows the consequence of when they strayed. They've taken all of this information. They've been deceived, and now they're going to apply that deception. They're going to act on it. Um, sadly, verse 6 shows us that, Adam, I mean, that, that Adam's there, but he hasn't said anything. The whole dialogue is between Eve and the serpent. Um, but if you look at Genesis 2, the line in verse 16, it says the Lord God commanded the man. So he's not saying he's commanding Adam and Eve at the time because Eve has not been yet created when this Genesis 2, 16 through 17 part is spoken. So Eve's not there. She doesn't exist yet. So God is giving Adam these rules for the garden. And so he, we don't know. He may have given Eve the same instructions later. But we do know he gave them to Adam. And I think we're supposed to know or like see that Adam is responsible for sharing this information with Eve and teaching her. And he hasn't spoken up the whole time. So, um, yeah, he kind of comes in right there at the end and he follows Eve right off the line of Scripture. So she's saying because they accepted that one small life at the beginning, kind of opening the door for them to accept bigger and bolder lies in this conversation. So by the very end, he's saying something totally contradictory, and they're not questioning it or asking about it. 
Um, so what were the consequences of their not staying on the line? Yes, cursed and exiled, absolutely. Yeah, so she's saying that Adam was equally sinful because of his passivity. So he didn't overtly act on it. He didn't say anything off the line, but he's still guilty just by being there in the intervening. Um, yeah, there's lots of consequences, right? Death, physical death, spiritual death, separation from God, relational discord. We see not much later in the same chapter three that Adam and Eve, you know, they're, they're not in harmony as much in their marriage anymore. Sin, sickness. Like Jennifer said, exile, there's lots of consequences. So we can see from their example that straying from the line is a really big deal. Um, and we'll do one more example like this together, but this time in the New Testament, Mark 7, 1 through 13. We'll kind of handle this one similarly. I'll read it, and then we'll ask the same three questions. It says, Now the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. They saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, according to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, giving to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. So y'all may want to read through that one one more time. But we're going to answer the same questions. What is the line? And this one, I'm going to tell you exactly where to look. You have to go all the way back to the Old Testament, Exodus 30, 19. And I'm telling you that one because you really probably only would find that if you had a study Bible with you. And you probably didn't all bring your study Bibles to this today. So if you're reading in a study Bible, it will tell you this reference. Um, so it's not hard to find with that. But Exodus 30, 19 is the line. It's a fragment sentence. It's just part of it. So you may want to read some of the verses around it to kind of understand what's going on. But that verse 19 is the one that correlates to these verses in Mark. So what is the line? Who did not stay on the line and how? And what were the consequences? And I'll give you several minutes to do all of that. Okay. Um, I'll read Exodus 30, 19. Since I already told you all that is the line, and we'll talk about what that means a little bit of how, what the implications of that being the line. So, like I said, it's kind of a fragment sentence. Hopefully you, hopefully you had time to read kind of around the verses around it. But it says, With which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet. So, thinking through this, who are Aaron and his sons? What role do they have? The priests, right? They're the priests. So, if it's the priests, that are washing their hands and their feet. Um, what? So that's the line, right? That the priests, not necessarily just Aaron and his sons, but the priests need to wash their hands and their feet. 
But who is straying from the line? The Pharisees. And who were the Pharisees at the time? What was their role? They were the teachers of the law at the time. They were the ones that were supposed to be instructing the Israelites. They didn't have printed Bibles, right? They had manus, you know, like all these scrolls or whatever, but nobody would have had a copy in their home. So the Pharisees, it was their job to teach and communicate God's law to the people. So how did they stray from the line? Yes, they went way above the line by taking the law that was applied for the priests, meant for the priests before they went to sacrifice to wash their hands. And they made it for everybody, and not even just for washing hands. They added cup vessels, dining couches. They just went way above the law and added a lot of legalism, right, like we've talked about. Then they also went below the line, further down. Can anybody find that example in there where they went way below the line? Yes, they relied on traditions instead of God's word, absolutely. And they also went um, below. So the verses 9 through 13 is a good example of how they've gone below the line because they're saying God has given this commandment to obey or honor your father, not obey, but honor your father and mother. Um, and they're kind of going below the line by not, they're just saying, and this part's kind of confusing with the money given, or yeah, whatever the gain, you know, Corbin. But they're basically saying, you don't have to obey that if you kind of give some of this money away. Like they're going below the line not staying on the line of scripture of what God had said regarding honoring your father and your mother. So they've used their traditions to both go above and below the line of scripture. And tradition can be a really good thing, right? It's not always a bad thing, although a lot of us have the tradition of praying before a meal, which is great. We should pray before meals. It gives us a time to pause and praise God, express thankfulness, and even can be a good opportunity for discipling or evangelism, depending on your context and who you're having a meal with, um, but that could go above or below the line, right? If you say you have to pray before every meal, but scripture doesn't say that exactly, so that could be taking that tradition above the line, or you could go below the line with it by saying you only have to pray before a meal. Scripture says to pray without ceasing, so if you think, well, if I pray before a meal, I'm good, that's kind of going below the line and not praying as often as scripture says, which is, you know, pray without ceasing. So it's a good time just to stop. I'm not going to ask you all to answer this question, but it's just good to think through where do you uphold tradition as equal to or above God's law. I think that was just a good question of reflection even for me. Um, so going back to our example in Mark, what was Jesus's response to the Pharisees? Yeah, we worship in vain. That would be a really painful thing to hear <laughs> from Jesus. Absolutely. <laughs> So she's saying how the Pharisees were to teach the word and the scribes were writing it down and they still missed it. They didn't stay on the line. And Jesus, yeah, so he's basically, he says they worshiped in vain. He calls them hypocrites. And then he quotes scripture at the end of the prophecy from Isaiah, which would be a really, I would not want to hear this said about me. It says the people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Um, yeah, he definitely rebukes them for their behavior. So, According to verse 13, what is the consequence of the Pharisees not staying on the line? Yeah, God's word is void. I mean, what a sad and terrible thing to think about. Um, okay, I think we have time to run through one more really quickly. And this one's going to be a little bit different. Um, I'm going to read to you Romans 8, 31 through 39. And this one's kind of just for fun. Listen to it and think of ways that you might 
think it would be taken off the line. We won't have long to discuss it, but um, yeah, just how could you imagine that someone might take this above or below the line? It's Romans 8, 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him, all, gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So think through a few ways that you could see this being taken above or below the line, being added to or taking away from the meaning. Right. Absolutely taken out of context. Verse 32 could be above the scripture by saying, if he gave us his own son, what else would he, he would give us anything, kind of prosperity gospel going that direction. Yeah. Verse 33, he would bring any charge against God's elect, saying we're above the law or above having to obey things. I even think of it as God who justifies. I feel like that could be easily taken into, if I can't judge anyone, you know, like not calling people out for their sin, maybe. Um, I feel like I might kind of miss that one. Focusing more on the physical. So she's saying, verse 37, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us, saying we can conquer anything, but taking it more of the physical. Like, obviously, we're conquering. I mean, we get to live with God forever because Jesus conquered or defeated sin for us, but take this to the physical like i can conquer this health issue or the crazy stuff so yeah i also think when it talks about nothing can separate us from the love of christ i feel like that might be easy to misunderstand if you don't really know what they mean by the love of christ i think if you overemphasize physical also again like well if god loves me then i'll never suffer taking it that way i think could definitely be taken off the line so we've seen several examples of what it looks like to not stay on the line of scripture and the consequences that that can lead to. Um, so I want to discuss a few ways to pre prevent us from straying from the line of scripture. I've written down a few practical ways um, that can be guardrails to keep us on the line. But first, I want to hear some of your ideas. I think that we probably have come up with quite a few of the same ones. So I would love to hear what some of y'all's ideas are on ways to ensure that we're staying on the line of scripture. Yeah, so recap too. Um, knowing the context, knowing what's going on in history at the time, reading the passages before and after so you know where it fits into this whole chapter or book, and also knowing what the, the original audience was supposed to get out of it. Obviously, if you're an Israelite at the time of David and Goliath, you wouldn't understand things differently. And so knowing the original audience and what the intended meaning was for the original audience before we jump to application. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Does it fit in with it, what the rest of Scripture says? Is it congruent with Scripture? 
does scripture, let scripture interpret scripture, kind of, if you're finding the same things through multiple passages, then you probably have a pretty clear idea of what the line of scripture is. Yeah, we have to know God's word before we can know when we're not on his word, something familiar. And I like that you said something about reading it with people. That's one of the things I wrote down is just be discussing what you're learning with other people, whether you're in a Bible study or you just have a friend that you talk to about what you're learning in scripture or you're discipling someone just to talk through it with because they may hear something that they're saying, well, that's not, I don't think that's what that means or that's not quite right. Just if you're discussing it with someone, you're a lot more likely to have accountability to where you're not staying on the line with scripture. Yeah. Prayer, essential to being able to clearly and accurately understand the word of God. (laughs) One of the things I've said, which is super helpful for me, and this kind of goes with what Joy said, is repetitive reading. For me to be able to understand a passage that I'm studying, I have to read it so many times. And the more I read it, the more I get out of it. A word may jump out at me, or I might notice a comma that makes a difference to how the, I mean, even the little things, I think the more you read it, the more you can understand something. So she was saying, you have to always be careful not to just accept what someone is saying is truth. So if it's somebody you really trust, I mean, we are all susceptible from straying from the line. So just because it's a trusted person speaking doesn't mean you should just for sure accept it. Or if you know they're a lot smarter than you, uh, you can't just automatically accept it. You need to always be checking what you're hearing against the line of God's word. Absolutely. Um, another one I thought of actually reminded me of Jennifer Giddens' talk on biblical theology, and it goes along with the congruency thing that she said of does it, you know, scripture has themes that are traced throughout all of scripture, and is what you're taking out of it fit into that? If you're coming up with some new knowledge that is not in any good commentary, and doesn't fit into the, the whole of the book you're reading or into the themes of the Bible, maybe you have not come up with your whole new theology that's true, or maybe you're just a little off. So um, does it fit in with what scripture says throughout all of scripture? Does it fit into the book you're reading? You know, books have themes. Same with all literature, you know, regular books, books of the Bible. They're going to have themes or main points. And if it doesn't seem that it fits in there, then maybe you're not quite on the line. Um, Anybody have any other ideas? Yeah. So she's saying that once you've done a lot of study, you know, this all takes a lot of work and a lot of study. And once you've done that and you've found the main point in the passage, let that main point guide your application instead of kind of getting lost in the weeds with every application you can come up with on that verse. Just find the main point and make your applications come from the main point rather than things that might be related to but are not that main point. Yeah. We're kind of wrapping up. Does anybody else have any other ideas of ways to stay on the line or just questions in general? Okay, so she's asking, how would you get someone back on the line if you're in a group discussion or any sort of discussion and someone is not on the line? How do you bring them back around? I think I like to bring people, like asking questions to me is a really helpful way of saying, well, where did you find that? And how does that line up? You know, just asking questions and pointing them back to scripture, maybe finding the verse that that, where that doesn't line up and say, well, this verse says this thing. Why is that different? I think always bringing it back to the line and I mean, pointing it out their error. I think a gracious, kind way to do that. I like to try asking questions first to see if they can, like, get around to that on their own. But eventually, you may just have to say, here's the line, and this isn't on it. But um, I think bringing them back to the line, asking questions, and obviously doing it in a humble way. Um, 
and concern for their for ourselves and not to do that. Okay, so I just had a comment. She said that the study has made her think about how not only present-day Christians can go off the line, but how the ex- the Bible is full of examples of people who've gone off the line, like your examples of Eve and the Pharisees. Yeah, that's helpful for her. It's forever been a common problem. I, th- I mean, even the New Testament talks a lot about false teachers, like y'all talked about. So I think it's we're all susceptible to it. I would say hopefully most of us don't do it intentionally. And there are people that do. And you can read the New Testament and find people that are intentionally leading people off the line. So just always be discerning and thinking and questioning, not in a rude way, but in a humble and wanting to learn way. Just always. You have to know about the scripture and you have to always be thinking is that what I've understood to be true from scripture? And it takes a lot of studying. This isn't like a, I just read through the passage and I understand it. You have to be really committed to like studying the passage. It takes a lot of work. So it's worth it. Yeah, so Karen's saying let, let Scripture and the Holy Spirit point people back. Like it's, it's not our job to fix someone, but it is our job to steer them to Scripture and let the Holy Spirit do his work in pointing them back to the truth. Absolutely. And we have to be humble. Oh, no, we have to be humble too. Yeah, always bring them back to the word and don't bring in all your pre-study that you've done. Just read it for just as God's word. Absolutely. And I think Erica's talk talk will address that a little bit next week it's, or next month. It's a lot about what you're coming into scripture already knowing. And it's not only from previous Bible studies. It's from all of, all of your life. Anyway, it'll be a really good talk. So I'll come or watch it on Zoom. Oh, and I was going to say, we also have to be humble. I hope that if I were saying something off the line that people would come and tell me, and that I would respond in a humble way. So I think like we're leaving that out there. We're all susceptible to it. So receive that feedback with humility. Um, or And if you're a teacher, maybe have people pre-feed what you're going to read before you share it. Okay, okay I'm going to close with a final scripture. It's the second half of Isaiah 66.2. And it says, But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. I hope that we're all people who tremble at God's word, who hold it in high esteem, who understand the power of the word of God, that we will steward it well. I'm going to close us in prayer. God, thank you for your word, that you use it to teach us, to reproof us, and to correct us, and to train us. I pray that you give us discernment as we read your word, and we study it, and we strive to apply it to our lives. Um, And I pray that you would protect us from straying from the line of scripture, from adding or going below um, the line and what you're saying in your word. Thank you for the women who are here, either in person or on Zoom. And I pray that we would all be women who love your word, that we would steward it well. Amen. Thank you for listening to UBC's Women's Institute. Online, you can find our resource list for this session and previous sessions as well. And you can also sign up to receive the resource list for future Women's Institutes. Thanks for listening.